<sighs> Morning. Morning. How you doing today? Great. Awesome. It's a beautiful day. Oh, and it's good to be up here and hanging out with you. Uh, I want to welcome in particular the folks that are tuning in. I mean, I, I get to welcome you like right in person. We can shake hands and stuff. For the folks that are uh, online through live stream or paying attention uh, through Facebook Live or uh, Twitter things, <laughs> tweezers. So if you're watching this through tweezers, um, I don't know. But one of my favorite things about the blessing of the technology and, and how it works is that uh, it, it allows us to be connected um, over the span of time and space in a way that only the Holy Spirit can do. And so we're glad that you're worshiping with us uh, this morning or this afternoon or in two weeks or five months or whatever. So uh, God is good. Um, and we get to talk about his word, and we get to be blessed and encouraged and challenged and strengthened. Um, over the last couple of weeks, uh, we've been talking about the practicalities of faith, and Pastor Trent has been uh, digging into and, and leading us along this journey in the book of James. Now, I now, at this point in my life, have learned to appreciate James, but uh, when I was a young believer, I came to Christ around 19-ish or so, um, and you start digging into God's word, um, there are parts of it that you're like, oh, that's my favorite part because it's all shiny and happy and good. And there are other parts of it that are really challenging. And James was always one of those books that just intimidated me like crazy. Um, and I think it had to do with just how like forthright, no nonsense, he wasn't trying to color anything. He's just, this is the way that it is. And this is life in Christ. And this is what has to change in you. Like, he expects change. It's not just, you know, you get to say the words, yay, I love Jesus, and everything's good. You have to be a different person. Like, every part of your life has to be made real in Christ. We're, we're called into, in real time, real relationships with a real world where God is asking us to be the lens to witness so that people can see his son. And every part of our lives is supposed to be different. We don't get to pick and choose every part of our lives, not just because we say they're different, but because they actually change. The Bible assumes that we will, capital W, capital I, capital L, capital L, underlined with bold, we will be different. We will bear fruit. You know, the fruit of the Spirit. Pastor Trent's been talking about that the last couple of weeks. We will bear the fruit of the Spirit. Not the fruits, the fruit. These things will be true in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and the rest. <laughs> Which is what you say when you're preaching and you can't think of the rest. He doesn't pull any punches. And that's probably why it was intimidating at first. And why as I've matured a little, I've matured a little, Thank you, honey. I've come to appreciate his wisdom and his forthrightness. So, what does James have to say to us this morning? We're going to be in James chapter 3. You're welcome to open your Bibles. Uh, you can pay attention. The words should be on the screen behind me. Uh, or, if it is your choice, just let God's word roll over you like a tidal wave. James chapter 3, and we're going to start at verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Now, we, we all stumble 
in many ways. Anyone who's never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep the whole body in check. You know what I mean by that? Let me help you understand what I mean by that. Uh, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or, or take a ship for an example. Although they're really large and driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it, make great, it makes great boasts. I mean, consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. Well, the tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. This guy's intense. No wonder he's intimidating. Now, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. I mean, with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. When out of the same mouth come praise and cursing, my brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both... Fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Now, we got to pause for a minute here and kind of get our bearings. Um, Let's just unpack a little bit of what what we've just heard. Um, Again, James is a study in the practical application of faith. What does living the Christian faith look like? And in the face of real life issues, let's remember something here. When James wrote this, he was not just sitting down one day and going, hey, I think I'll pen a little bit of scripture today. (laughs) He was writing a letter. He was writing a letter to Jewish believers, believers who had come to Christ but had a Jewish background, and he's trying to help them understand what a new life in Christ will look like in practical ways. And and he probably knew some of the things that they were dealing with, which is why he dealt with particular issues. So for instance, when when, when you look through James, you're going to find some very simple issues that a lot of believers deal with. And he says, this is how you act like a Christian in the face of this. So when trials come, here's how you live a life in Christ. When, uh, when you're in a place and suddenly it looks like certain people are being treated better than other people, this is how you live as Christ's ambassadors. When there is chaos going on in people's lives and you are called to care for them, widows and orphans, this is how you walk a life in Christ. If there are people who you are responsible for, their well-being is an important part of who you are, this is how you live a life that honors Christ. And... It's quite likely that there's news going around that some of the believers are misusing their tongues. Their words are not the healthiest. So James has to address that too. What to do with these instruments of life and death in our mouths. In real life practice, how are these parts of our lives changed by belonging to Jesus? 
And one of the first things that James wants us to understand, that God wants us to understand, is that this tongue, this seemingly innocuous organ, innocuous means um, not dangerous. It's, it's okay. It's not. It, you don't have to worry about it. Is not innocuous. It is a dangerous thing. There's power in the words that come out of our mouths. That old, that old sing-songy rhyme thing from when you're kids is not true. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. No, no, no. That's not true. We say it when we're kids because somebody called us a bad name and we do that and then we dance off and then we cry in our rooms. <laughs> because words hurt. Powerful and particularly duplicitous is the tongue. Duplicity is when you try and live in two worlds that are completely opposite at the same time. And our tongues try and do that. And James is like, look, you can't do that. Those things can't happen. And he offers these beautiful illustrations. It's, um, it's like trying to pick fruit that you can't pick off of a certain tree or salt water and fresh water coming from the same place. Imagine if you can. Like, if you have to, go ahead and close your eyes. But just imagine if you can. You're walking through an orchard. It's an orange orchard. And, and you can smell the orange coming from the trees. It's about time for, for harvest. And you're like, you know what? I, I want an orange. And you reach up to pluck a piece of fruit and you hold an apple in your hand. Can you imagine that orange grove? You can't because what I painted a picture of is an apple grove. You pick an apple from a tree and you've just interacted with an apple tree. You can't interact with an orange tree. If you walk into a sweet corn field and you're like, I'm going to have a piece of sweet corn. I need an ear. I got to go get some because I'm going to boil it up and it's going to be so good. It's summertime. A little salt, a little butter. Oh, yeah. You reach in, you're pushing, pushing the past the leaves and you grab a hold of that ear and you rip the husk apart. And there in your hand is a banana. I hate to break it to you, but you were not in a sweet corn field. Those things don't work. You can't have two things be the truth at the same time. Jesus talks about this in Luke 6. Each tree is recognized by its fruit. That's how you know an apple tree is an apple tree, and a banana plant is a banana plant, and an orange tree is an orange tree, and a sweet cornfield is a sweet cornfield, because when you get the fruit, that's what you get. Jesus goes on to say that people don't pick fig from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. He's like, in case this is too mystical and magical for you, let me break it down for you, okay? A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Now... I'm telling you all this. I'm recapping James here, but I'm not telling you anything new. Does anybody here ever go to an apple tree and expect to pick off grapes? No. This is common sense. You know this. I know this. We know this. This is real stuff. But how do we apply it? What, is, what does that mean we can do? What's our answer then? Because we're not going to be perfect in all the things that we say. We will stumble. Verse 2 of James 3 says it explicitly. We will all stumble in many different ways. I, I've said things that I'm ashamed of. Have, have you ever said anything that you regret? So what can we do about it? 
So now this is where James is particularly helpful. Um, how do we control our tongues? Let's go back to verse 8. Uh, no human being can tame the tongue. Well, wait a minute. <laughs> I thought you said James was going to be helpful. Yeah. Yeah. So no one can tame the tongue? Well, kind of. Doesn't the Bible say that we can tame the tongue? Oh, yeah, it does. First Peter 3 quotes uh, Psalm 34 when it says this. Uh, Whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. Wait, wait. Okay, so James said no, but the Bible says we can control our language? Yeah, Ephesians 4 says this. Uh, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. So the Bible does say we can control our tongues. Yes! And James says we can't. Yes! So we're supposed to avoid something the Bible says we can't avoid? Yep. And we're supposed to do it the way that God wants us to on purpose because the Bible says so. Yep. See, now now you start thinking, well, I think I know why some of those early theologians didn't want James in the Bible. This is weird. (laughs) So how how does James unpack this? (laughs) Um... Well, this is the beautiful thing. I didn't read all of James 3. There's more. There's more. The first part of James 3 is, here's the problem. Let's let's really dig into it and help you understand. Now, where's the solution? And this is how James unpacks the solution for us, starting at verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds, Done in the humility that comes from wisdom. So, okay, if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it. Don't even try and deny it. Such such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace, reap a harvest of righteousness. Now, how does this help us? This is, this is how I love, I love so much how James does this because He reflects the truth of scripture in other places in a way that makes us have to think about it. He does it in such a way that while he's being very practical, he's trying to help a group of believers who have a history in legalism, in the law, in in having all kinds of rules for their lives. And, And when he's trying to help them understand their options for living with these little worlds of evil among the parts of the body, he's going to give us, all of us, what we need, not what distracts. And you know what would have been so distracting if you have a background in the law? More rules. More restrictions. More you have to do this or you're going to be in trouble. James doesn't give us a whole bunch of thou shalt nots, which is honestly, I got to tell you, really refreshing because if you've ever had to spend a lot of time with someone who can tell you all the things they hate and all the things they stand against and all the things you shouldn't do, it really just saps the strength right out of you. And it's kind of like, in some ways, 
the church has gotten a bad rap over the last couple thousand of years because we really have this reputation with the world around us for finger pointing and judgment. We like to tell people how they're wrong and how they're sinning and how they're broken and how they don't measure up. And if you want to be a part of our club, you got to measure up. And James just avoids all of that. Because there's a big difference between how people are fed, what truly feeds them. When, you, when There's a difference between if you're telling them all the bad stuff or if you're telling them all the ways that they're free. People are fed differently. We are fed differently when we think in, those, in different ways. Not just against, but for. What are we for? And I talk about being fed. There's a, okay, so this is a sermon illustration. And it's kind of an oldie, but it's a goodie. Um, anytime I use an old sermon illustration, I have to do my research because I want to make sure that it actually happened or that it's actually real. Um, but this one is so good. And after all my research, I couldn't really find out if it was real. Like some places are like, yeah, it's probably real. And other places are like, eh, Billy Graham might have made it up. I don't know. So it's just good. And you're going to get it. And I don't know if it's real, but a little grace. There's this old Native American proverb. So got that sermon illustration thing going. There's this old Native American proverb about a young man who was causing uh, quite a ruckus in his village. Um, he's a teenager and he's angry and he's breaking things and causing chaos. And sometimes he's okay, but a lot of the time he's not. And, 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 and people are really starting to get concerned with him. So they go to the tribal elders and they say to, to one of the elders, we want you to go talk to him. Well, this elder happened to be his grandfather. And so he says, I'll sit down with my grandson. So they sit down together and he says, grandson, we're concerned with you. What, what is going on? And the young man says, oh, grandfather, I... I don't know what to do. I have, you know, I want to break things and, and, and everything's okay. But it's like there's this fight going on inside of me all the time and I don't know what to do. Uh, I, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, those are the things that I do. So that wasn't actually in the proverb. I added that because it's in the Bible. And his grandfather says to him, oh, I understand what you're going through. All people go through this. Um, think of it like this, my grandson. This terrible fight going on inside of you is between two dogs. Uh, some versions say wolves. And one of these dogs is evil. He is anger and envy and sorrow, regret. He is greed, self-pity and guilt. But the other dog inside of you is good. He is love and joy, hope and serenity, humility, kindness and compassion. This is a fight we all have to go through. And the young man thinks on it for a minute, furrowed brow. He says to his grandfather, but grandfather, two dogs warring inside of me. Which one is going to win? To which... His grandfather says, well, that's easy. The one that you feed. James doesn't tell us how to control our tongues. He doesn't give us a list of what not to say. He doesn't tell us all the dark things that we need to be aware of. Instead, he tells us how to feed the good dog. He tells us what we need to be looking for as our sustenance. 
Remember, who is wise and understanding among you, James asks. Well, let them show it by their good life, by deeds done, and the humility that comes from wisdom. Wisdom? Tell us where to get this wisdom, okay? The wisdom from heaven is this. Pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Will you feed your souls from the wisdom of heaven? Will you feed your souls with those things, those those wonderful things that lead to great life? But instead of knowing everything that we need to know to avoid when it comes to how we speak, James seems to think we should spend our effort on making sure we're feeding our souls well. Because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Our DNA, our our spiritual makeup means that we are made in the image of God to be fed at the Lord's table the things that lead us into life, the things that nourish us, real food, not the kind of filler stuff that sometimes we, we, we plug into our souls, but real food. And when I'm talking about eating at the Lord's table, I know we just celebrated communion last week, but this isn't about communion. When I mean by say, uh, uh, feeding at the Lord's table, I mean by, by digging into this book and having conversations with our Father, real conversations with Him. This is also feasting at the Lord's table. This is also where we go to feast on the wisdom that brings life. <laughs> God is so smart. <laughs> As he speaks through James to us, he gets to educate us on this beautiful reality that it's, it's not just about controlling our wild and dangerous word makers. It's not just about having the right rules about what you can and what you cannot say. Because tell you what, folks, what comes out of our mouths is often just a symptom It's a a side effect. If your shoulder is out of socket, right? It's going to hurt. And you can take lots and lots and lots of pain medication and kind of just get by. Hey, what's up? (laughs) But you're not functional. If you want to be functional, you got to fix the origin of the issue. You got to fix the real problem. And we don't need more rules for the symptoms to be controlled. We need to feed that good dog inside. Because if we're not feeding the good dog, we are feeding the bad dog. And James says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show up by their good life, by deeds done. In the humility that comes from wisdom, good life, good deeds, they do come from somewhere. We need to make sure we're working on that, where they're coming from. So where do you get wisdom? Well, and this is where Paul does help a little bit. He says, be such an expert in uh, whatever's true and whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, this is a good Pauline list. Think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. All right, one more story. Um, so when I was this little guy, I'm just a little guy growing up in Northwest Iowa, um, 
we used to go and visit some family, and I had this uncle who lived in Orange City, and I loved going to Uncle, uh, my Uncle Don's house because not only did he live on a cul-de-sac, which uh, was half a block away from the park, which when you're a little guy, the park is the coolest thing ever. Um, this was before we had our devices. We played outside. <laughs> <clears throat> but my Uncle Don, one of the other things Uncle Don had was this amazing lawn. Oh, it was the greenest, most luxurious, lush carpet of grass you've ever seen. And it was the kind of thing, like, if you would go to his house, you, if you were walking by, if you were walking the dog past his house, you would keep the dog off because you needed to walk barefoot and you didn't want dog making any barefoot dangerous things. It was the kind of grass where, where you would lay down and you would, like, grass angels. Like, ho, 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 I remember one time we were over at his house and we were just looking at this lawn. And my mom's like, how do you get your lawn to look like that? We were the kind of people, like, when we mowed, we mowed to the, to the dirt. Then you didn't have to mow very much. And he's like, well, first of all, you gotta, you gotta put your deck a little bit higher than bottom. But then... You got to get some weed killer and you got to attack the weeds. You got to start there. But you've also got to water and fertilize. You got to feed your lawn. And then, and this is really important, overseed. Just throw down grass seed all the time. A couple times a year, just throwing down grass seed. Water, 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 and feed it, feed it, feed it. Grass seed, grass seed, water, 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 feed, feed, feed. You do that. And pretty soon you're going to have so much grass Weeds got nowhere to go. Now, I, I don't know if that's how lush green lawns actually work. <laughs> um, if you see my lawn, you'll be like, okay, he's not practicing this at all. <clears throat> but when I heard that, I knew that it was an illustration of something true. We don't have to know everything about what to avoid. We don't have to be experts in the darkness. We just need to feast on and plant so much of what is good that the not good has no room to grow. And then, because we're doing that, nourishing our souls in that way, then what will come out, the side effect, the, 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 the symptoms of being so well-fed will reveal the truth of what's happening inside. See, now that's, that's how James lines up with the other scriptures, right? That's how God tells his word through this very practical guy. I love James. All for the glory of God, right? Amen. Amen. Thank you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, your faithfulness knows no end. And we, uh, sometimes it's a little confusing and we got to work through it. But when we do, we always find you. Thank you for being good to us and giving us what we need and not what would distract Thank you for feeding us with the abundance of yourself, with the kind of wisdom that can fill us to overflowing with beauty and peace 
so that lives, the lives of the people around us can be impacted with how that shows Jesus Christ. It is him alone we want them to see, not us. It is you alone we want everyone to know. All for your glory. The glory of the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.